Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 25, From Harm's Way to Stowed Away. Gabe had learned three important things from his time with Renzo, the hulking Bajan policeman. First, he was a man of few words. Second, he had very little time for most people, including Gabe. And third, he was absolutely besotted with his sister, Sherelle. Of the three, however, the last observation had proved to be the most significant. It transpired that the pair had started dating a little less than a week after Sherelle had arrived on the island. And after such a short time together, it seemed apparent even to the boy that the sullen-faced cop would gladly take a bullet for her. By mere association, this placed Gabe in equally safe hands. This privilege was not lost on his sister, since hearing of her little brother's predicament, she now insisted that her new suitor accompany them everywhere. Although neither party was particularly thrilled by this constraint, Gabe could not deny the sense of security this offered him, and Renzo seemed satisfied just to make his girlfriend happy. Six foot six with a physique seemingly carved from granite and a steer that would turn most men to jelly, Renzo had a fierce reputation. Many of the locals referred to him as the enforcer. Shady characters seemed to recoil as he approached and Gabe couldn't help but notice that the most formidable thugs nodded at him in submission. He was one of the few officers with an open carry licence and if one was not put off by the large glock strapped across his expansive chest, the idea of receiving a blow from one of the boulders he had masquerading as fists was equally as terrifying. When the three of them walked together through the high streets, crowds parted like the Red Sea. Despite the unspoken agreement of protection, Renzo mostly treated Gabe like he didn't exist. He was merely an inconvenience. A small burden endured to enter his girlfriend's good graces. It was no coincidence there had been no further attempts made on the child's life since the recruitment of this new chaperone. It seemed clear the bounty Patrice placed on his former associate's head had been rendered woefully insufficient. Gabe learned that during the man's short time on the police force, for he was only 24, Renzo single-handedly arrested more violent criminals on average per year than most of his contemporaries had managed in long and respectable careers. He'd also discharged his pistol far more frequently than anyone else and so it followed that he'd killed more felons. Gabe had been attending a local secondary school for the last three days. As someone who'd previously despised education, he found that at least this time presented him with respite from his surly guardian and the suffocating monotony of home life. The hours spent in Shirelle and Renzo's apartment consisted exclusively of eating, sleeping, doing homework and perhaps 45 minutes of television, which was usually the first half of whatever football match the policeman was watching. Bedtime, the shaven-headed brute grunted at him when the current football coverage was replaced with TV ads. This was as conversational as Renzo would be with Gabe. Short commands, go to bed, wake up, be quiet. If the boy heard anything to the contrary, it usually meant that he'd made some grave error. While the enforcer had not laid a hand on him yet, the threat always seemed to be on the table. Gabe was uncharacteristically acquiescent to the instructions. He imagined receiving a simple backhand from the man might place him in a coma. 
Whether his sister would allow her new partner to physically reprimand him was unclear. It seemed she was so thankful for Gabe's safeguarding from hitmen that she might consider the odd beating to be a small price to pay. On the upside, he found Sherelle to be an effective and much-needed buffer. He'd gathered the impression that Renzo was somehow placated in her presence, and without her around to mediate, there was no telling how he might have been treated. The cops seemed to adore violence. At breakfast and dinner, he would gleefully recount stories of the beatings he'd inflicted on his perps. It was the most he ever spoke, and the most joyful Gabe thought he appeared. Despite not being remotely tired, a mere glance at those dark, unyielding eyes was enough for the boy to quickly comply. He brushed his teeth and got into bed. As he lay there, painfully alert and almost too scared to move, he considered that his time with Patrice was considerably more fun and relaxed. Patrice never barked dog-like commands at him. Patrice didn't even issue him with a bedtime. Admittedly, there was the unfortunate matter of forcing him to commit armed robbery. Gabe found himself now wondering if he might have considered it, knowing the alternative. He was struck with the reminder of that awful day and the impact of that gun handle on his cheek. He gently placed his fingers to the still raised area. It had not felt the same since. His sister would never allow a similar thing to happen with Renzo, he considered, more in hope than certainty. When he entered the living area for breakfast the next morning, he was thrilled to find that Cheryl was alone. Where is he? the boy asked tentatively. Left early for work. Gabe exhaled with relief. Dudu, she said softly, a Trinidadian term of endearment he'd hoped she would have relinquished by now. There's a change of plans for today. I can't collect you from school. The hotel is catering for a last-minute wedding, some rich couple from Scotland or something. They're short on staff, so I've been asked to help out food and beverage in the evening. So what am I supposed to do? It won't be too different from any other day. Renzo said he'll fetch you from school and bring you home. Gabe's eyes were as wide as saucers. No. What are you talking about, no? You can't leave me alone with him. Don't be foolish. Renzo won't hurt you. He's been looking after you since you got here. Only because you're there. He looks like he'd break my skull if I give him back chat. Well, don't give him back chat then, she laughed. And Gabe stared at her pleadingly. I'm joking. Why are you being so dramatic? Renzo wouldn't lay a finger on you. Renzo beats people for fun, Gabe said straight-faced. You can't leave me with him. Enough of this talk. I'm needed at work and it's not safe for you on your own. Just meet him at the gates. Gabe had never prayed for the final period at school to continue as he did that afternoon. He watched the clock hands glide round one small fraction at a time and tried to halt them with his mind. When the final bell rang, he was startled. As he walked towards the gate, the other boys he'd befriended were discussing whose dad would most likely win in a fight. Gabe's dad would beat up everyone's dad at the same time, one boy conceded. Gabe's dad is the enforcer. He's not my dad, Gabe interjected with a scowl. He lives with you, doesn't he? That makes him your dad. Whatever, Gabe said. I'm going to the toilet. See you tomorrow. Gabe sat in the bathroom cubicle and considered his next move. Though he knew that the streets weren't safe for him, the idea of being left in the sole custody of the ferocious giant waiting for him at the gates seemed equally alarming. More so, he decided. It was only unsafe if people were still after him, whereas willingly surrendering himself to alone time with Renzo was almost certain peril. 
Suppose the hit had been called off. Being seen with the infamous cop was enough to likely secure him permanent immunity, he reflected. Who would want to murder a child left in that psycho's protection? If I leave him waiting outside the school, though, he thought, he'd surely be furious at me for that. The boy thought about lying. I could pretend I didn't see him and say I assumed he hadn't shown up. Then I could hide somewhere until Sherelle finishes her shift. Renzo was basically no better than Patrice or one of his hired help. Violent men were all cut from the same cloth. There was no telling what they'd do. Suppose he were to flip out just for keeping him waiting at the gates. The man was used to inflicting those shovel hands on other men. A child like me wouldn't stand a chance. The decision had already been made for him then. He walked along the corridor and left the building through the fire exit. He emerged in the teacher's car park and walked to the end of the quiet adjoining road. Okay, now what? Gabe thought, advancing a few hundred yards from the school. Cheryl was not due to finish her shift until ten o'clock, a lengthy six and a half hours from now. While he had no money to buy anything, no one could stop him from browsing in the shops. The benefit of Barbados was that he'd not been here long enough to acquire a bad reputation. No shopkeepers would chase him out for fear of him thieving. Safe in this knowledge, he hated for Bridgetown. The incident with Snoopy had made him weary. Every car that stopped near him posed a plausible threat. Every passerby that paid him any attention was a potential abductor. With each step he progressed, he glanced back over his shoulder. Attempting to spend as much time indoors as possible, he expended the first three hours aimlessly looking in closed shops. As the sun began to set, however, the store started to close. All that remained open were bars, hotels and restaurants. He could hardly loiter in these. At half past seven, he found himself out on the streets again. Eerily close to where the white van had started following him on his fateful first day in Barbados, a man in another transit pulled up. At first he thought he was being overly cautious, then the driver yelled something in his direction. Gabe ignored it, he clutched the strap of his school bag and increased his walking pace. This blue van was curb crawling beside him with his indicator on, forcing other vehicles to manoeuvre around him. Little boy, he heard the driver clearly shout. Gabe continued to pretend that he hadn't heard and the driver grew louder, more insistent. Little boy, it's not safe to walk around on your own. Gabe glanced over. The man was middle-aged, small and not particularly threatening. Do you need a lift? he asked. Gabe looked away. Jump in, little boy, I can give you a ride. Cheryl's apartment was twenty minutes away in the vague direction he was heading. A few roads further down and he'd be right where the man had grabbed him. I won't hurt you, child, the driver yelled. There was every chance that he was telling the truth. He could simply be a good Samaritan seeking to help. Gabe stopped and so did the van. He spotted movement from the passenger side and then a larger man stepped out. Run, a voice screamed in Gabe's head. He took two quick steps forward before changing his mind. Stay in wide open spaces, Snoopy had said to him. Avoid the back streets. He turned and bolted back towards Bridgetown. As he changed direction, the large passenger did the same, navigating around his van. This put some space between them, but the man was clearly advancing in his direction. Gabe broke into a sprint. The straps of his backpack bounced on his shoulders with each bounding step. Years of practice had equipped Gabe with speed and stamina, and it was so much easier to run in a pair of shorts that actually fitted him. 
He sensed the distance increasing between him and his pursuer as he moved away from the roads and onto the promenade. Don't slow down, he told himself as his lungs started to burn. Before long his thighs were on fire too and the sprint diminished to a fast jog. A prolonged glance back as he headed towards the harbour confirmed that he had not lost the man, but there were now at least a hundred metres between them. Seeing the silhouette sprinting in his direction gave him a violent chill. The docks ahead of him were a dead end. His only escape seemed to be back in the direction of his would-be captor. Still frantically running, he glanced at several docked yachts and cruise liners. On seeing these, his instinct was to try and climb aboard one of them, but the gates were closed. All except one, he noticed, a substantial yacht anchored in the far corner. The seafaring physician was emblazoned on its hull. Although no one was out on the deck, the lights were on and the gate to the connecting slipway was not just unlocked but also wide open. This was his only chance, he decided. He was absolutely certain he'd be caught immediately, brazenly climbing onto someone else's boat like this, but he'd at least have an opportunity to explain himself to the passengers, perhaps plead with them to provide him refuge. He sprinted again all the way along the slipway and onto the yacht. Once aboard... He was met with a sound of ebullient laughter and chatter from within and faced with a door and a large windowless wall, the source of all the noise. To his right there was a set of descending steps. While he had no idea where these led to, all seemed silent down there. Imagining that this manoeuvre might buy him more time, he hurried down the steps. He tried the handle of the door at the very bottom and was relieved to find it unlocked. Inside here he discovered another set of descending stairs, he stumbled down these to find himself in the dull hum of the engine room. A blue non-slip runway sliced down the middle, separating two enormous rows of pipes, chrome fittings and complex machinery. All he could do now was wait. There was every likelihood that his pursuer had not seen where he disappeared to, although common sense should inform the man that Gabe had not left the harbour. His pursuer would scarcely have guessed that he'd boarded this particular yacht. Even if he had, he'd surely not follow him onto it. What reason could he give the people inside? A shady character like him would not dream of drawing such attention to himself. Yes, good, Gabe thought. It was relatively safe to assume that he'd once again evaded certain death. As no one knew he was here, all he had to do was run down the clock and make his escape. Then he'd sprint all the way to the Queen Elizabeth II and find his sister. The only impediment now was that he had no way of telling the time. He could only assume that it was nearly eight in the evening. Since his last visit to his sister's workplace, he was under the impression that he would not be permitted to wait in the lobby until she finished her shift. They'd perhaps allow him a few minutes of hanging around, maybe fifteen at the most. He refused to land his sister in trouble. Arriving too far ahead of time was out of the question. At least he was safe here. With no other ideas, he decided to count... 60 seconds at a time. When he'd totaled at least a hundred of them, that's when he'd make his move. Counting this much was boring work, but under the right circumstances, he could put his mind to anything. After he ascertained that roughly 40 minutes had elapsed, he was startled by the sound of a loud clunk, then followed a series of drones and vibrations from the surrounding equipment. A few seconds later, his stomach lurched. We're moving, he thought with panic. 
If you'd like to learn more about JW Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Bye.